Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by podiatrist Andy Bryant. Andy is a convert to natural podiatry, focusing more on barefoot, being um, developing foot strength, and all that fun stuff, which is what the focus of our conversation was today. So whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Andy, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been, I came across your Instagram by way of the Foot Collective and started following you and really love what you're talking about. So I'm excited to get you on here um, to dive into everything barefoot and natural foot health. Um, but first and foremost, who are you? Um, I'm a podiatrist here in Melbourne, Australia, and um, I'm a husband and father of two and have two dogs as well, a cat and three chickens. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been a podiatrist for 20 years. Um, here, as I was explaining before, here in Australia, podiatry is a bit different to the States, but um, you know, we're foot, foot healthcare professionals. And um, I was in a private practice in a partnership for many years, and that was a very traditional practice. But then um, with time, I started changing my practice a little bit. And so now I'm out on my own, um, I'm just managing every every part of a day-to-day practice. Yeah. <laughs> the one-man shop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know from what you told me with your story that you um, were very much what I guess we can say a traditional podiatrist giving orthotics yeah. to people. You were in orthotics yourself for a long time and then eventually transitioned more to like, I don't need these anymore. There's a better way. I would love for you to share your story as far as how that all came about. Yeah. So even before I started podiatry, I was a runner and had a series of injuries and that probably led me into, and when I was at podiatry school, you make orthotics for each other, whether you need them or not really. And so I'm like, oh, well, they might help my running injuries. That's all, all we, we knew to, how to deal with it. And so I got into orthotics then, so probably when I was 20, and then um, was in them f- and never took them out, even though I wasn't really running anymore. I just kept using them. And that's just the way we're kind of taught. And I had in the practice, we had our own little lab. So I made orthotics. I was probably always an under-prescriber. Like I didn't just put them into anyone's feet. I, I made sure they really needed them, you know, and there is still a need for them. But then um, I started a yoga practice out of not being able to do some other exercise and had some good teachers that were cueing really well um, of what to do with the feet. And I just noticed over a pretty short period of time, my own feet getting stronger. And, um, and I thought, oh, maybe I don't need my orthotics anymore. And so that's what triggered me looking into more um, building the foot muscle and function in a different way. And then I was also going back to running and kept getting old injuries. So I started reassessing the way I run and that led me down the barefoot stuff in terms of um, how, how modern shoes might, might change the way we run. And, you know, you can change your technique, but um, often technique is um, a product of what you've got on your feet it's harder to change a technique if you've still got a big cushion that means you can't feel things through your feet. And so that happened as well. And then I started going to a gym and there's some barefoot trainers there, people training barefoot or in minimal shoes. And I was still in like a pair of ASICs and deadlifting and ASICs and stuff like that. And, um, and I thought, oh, well, I'll try that. And so, again, I felt um, this really amazing connection with my feet and the rest of my body. So really, um, and Nick from the Foot Collective talks about our, our own self being experiment 101 and I just did all these little experiments on myself and still do. And then you go back to the research and go back to other 
aspect, maybe not podiatrists, but other health professionals, um, strength and conditioning people, see what they're doing, put all this together and then apply it to my clients now. So that's how, how that process happens over and over again. And it's not a structured process. It just um, happens, you know, just as my mind goes to different places. <laughs> I feel like your progress process has been very much like mine. Like what did okay. I, what worked for myself? How did I experiment on myself? And let's like go from there. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's the best way to learn. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It is almost unfortunately the best way to learn um, because it's not formalized and you don't get a piece of paper for it. And so people might not listen to you as much, but um, if you've got the piece of paper to start with and you've got years of experience, then that helps because people are like, oh, he must know what he's talking about, even though it's still pretty new for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the shoe topic first. As far yeah. as like when we are in traditional running shoes or shoes in the gym, like what are those doing to our feet or what they are they maybe better phrased? What are they not allowing our feet to actually do when we're trying to function? Yeah, and I think that is a better phrase because um, the, our feet, especially um, – like there are four aspects to a shoe that I, four aspects that I think a shoe should have. It should be wide at the tip of the toes. It should be thin um, sole so that the um, sole, you can feel things through the ground. It should be flexible so that you all the joints in your feet, there's 33 joints in the foot if you include the ankle joints. Um, so we want them to move and if the shoe's stiff, we won't do that. And it should be flat from heel to toe. And so if, if we have um, any of those factors not within a shoe, then your foot can't function as the foot is um, designed to function it, it, um, and therefore you're going to miss out or not be able to use your body as it's designed to function. Like if you're lifting something heavy and not grounding through your feet, then you're going to struggle to um, to make the most of that um, movement. And so that the feet aren't just tacked on for no reason. And, and a comparison that I like to make is if we wore clothes to the gym that restricted our movement and um, change the way our joints move and therefore our muscles, we'd be like, oh, what are you wearing that for? But we wear shoes to the gym or running or that do exactly that to our feet. They change the way the joints move. That doesn't stop them moving, but they change the way they move and they therefore change the muscles and they change the way our bodies um, interact, body parts interact with each other. And it would just be crazy for us to wear a straight jacket to the gym and then try and do stuff. But our feet are pretty much in most traditional shoes in straight jackets for the feet. (laughs) <laughs> I love that analogy. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, um, that's what, uh, so, and also a lot of people wear running shoes to the gym as well and running shoes are made to run in and not really um, for doing other activities in. And look, it doesn't super matter um, as in you can still squat in a pair of running shoes, but you're not just, you're not getting the most out of yourself. You're not um, making the most of the opportunity and you're there to improve your physical health or mental health or whatever. And you want to sort of tick all the boxes. And I think getting your feet on board is a big part of that. Are there like, if someone's not, doesn't feel comfortable, like fully transitioning to barefoot when at the gym, are there certain like lifts or movements that you would suggest them being barefoot in? rather than wearing those shoes to kind of start with that maybe transition? Yeah, yeah. And, and so um, it is a big deal for people to transition, mostly because they've been in a heeled cushion shoe for their whole life, and that's why it becomes a big deal. If they never went into that shoe, it wouldn't be such a big deal, but we're, we're talking about people that for at least 20 years have been in these shoes. So it, it does become a big deal, and I guess I would love to, to see in the future that um, it wasn't such a big deal because more kids never went into those shoes, but that's like 
a bit of a pipe dream. Anyway, um, so, you know, the first place to start with transitioning is just being barefoot at home, um, around home, to, to see how that feels. But then another good place to start is, like you just said, at the gym, because this is a place where you can feel your feet activating and working, and, and it's usually for, you know, maybe an hour at a time, so it's not a huge load on your feet. It's an intense load for a short period of time, but it's a, in a way that you're almost protecting your feet because you're using them. And so those movements that are good for that, I would say like the deadlift or deadlift movements, hinging movements, because you're pushing the ground away from you, you're activating your feet and, into, and you know, activating that posterior chain of your body, through, which finishes up with our toes. And so if they're not along for the ride, it's very hard to um, get everything working as well as it should. So um, that is definitely one thing that I would get people starting doing in the gym. Um, squatting can be a bit more difficult because um, ankle range of motion is often an issue because people have been in a heeled shoe for so long. And so maybe on your lighter squats or less depth squats or just take, take an ego pill and squat less deep and squat with better form and less weight and get your feet involved in the movement. And I think that's when you're going to see longer-term gains or, you know, better results, less injuries, that type of thing. Um, this is all anecdotal. <laughs> and there's still a place for squat shoes. It's like, um, and my analogy there is, you know, like I used to be a racing cyclist and I never raced, I never, I hardly ever trained on my racing bike. It was set up very similarly, but it was heavier and more robust. And so sometimes I would train on my racing bike, which was light and fast, just so that I still had that experience and knew what it felt like. But I wouldn't take... Um, that out on a regular basis and so similarly with squatting i think um some days yeah put your squat shoes on so you know what that feels like especially with the competition coming up because it's going to it's going to help your performance um because you don't have to use so much ankle range of motion we still need to it's going to engage the quads more so you might get you know like all the arguments for using a squat shoe obviously um but it's still probably not ideal to use it every day all the time. Like the Olympic weightlifters are using a, a lifting shoe, but I'm sure they're training barefoot with that foot engagement, getting all that engagement happening. And another analogy is the super shoes in running, like um, the, all the Nikes with carbon plates and every running shoe company now has a shoe that, that has these, these, um, this technology. Again, I wouldn't expect um, people to run in that shoe hundreds of kilometres a week. It's good for your faster sessions. It's good for racing, that type of thing. But you still have to be doing um, a lot of work in shoes that don't take so much away from your natural function. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I, that's just my take, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I like that. So curious on, or I would love your explanation on it. Like if you think of like Converse shoes or some shoes that are just like zero drop, really yeah. like no cushion, but they don't have a whole lot of flexibility to it. Like what's different that's happening with our feet in those compared to more of a, compared to a minimalist shoe that's very flexible. Yeah. And, and so the Converse shoes are a really good example on two fronts. They are pretty flexible, but they become more flexible um, with time. They might not be so flexible to start with. Um, if, if we have a cast on our arm and stop our arm moving after six weeks, because it was broken, it's withered and stiff. And so we, so we're not getting full range of motion. We're not getting full movement. And so if you have a proper minimalist shoe that is fully flexible, I've got one here, like it's properly flexible, then all the joints in the foot can move as they need to. The shoe is not affecting the joints in the foot. So if you're wearing a flat shoe that's a bit stiff, you're, you're not going to be getting that effect. 
Um, the big deal with Converse, I think, even bigger part of it is that the toes are, put, are squished. And really, we want to be able to splay our toes. The tips of the toes from first to fifth should be the widest part of the foot. And um, Converse are definitely widest, like here, and then tapered after that whereas um, a minimal shoe allows that splay. When we can splay, we get to use our big toe and grind it into the ground, like push hard, and that activates this inner line of our whole leg. We get to use all the intrinsic muscles of the foot as we're pushing in, whereas when they're squished, they're, they just can't be activated in the same way. So um, that's the big deal with Converse for me, that big toe pushing out of the way. And, and for me, that's a deal breaker. So a lot of people wear flat shoes, flexible shoes, but if you've got a big toe pushed out of the way, um, not being able to function in a straight manner, that, that's a deal breaker in terms of foot function for me, um, that big toe joint. We gave up the ability to do this on our feet, to be able to stand up and um, be bipedal. We gave up that with our big toe. It's a pretty big, pretty important joint in the way we move. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so on that note, um, you know, being that most people are in shoes, don't really use their foot a ton. Um, don't really have good control over their big toe in general. Um, what sort of things are, could potentially be a deficit as far as their function when they don't have good control over their toes? Um, yeah. Like, and it seems you get people to wriggle their toes and they're, um, and they often can't. And, and it's sort of like, well, why do I need to do this? Um, it's that brain to foot connection. Our, our body should be able to be controlled. And so when you can't control it, it's kind of like you're missing out on something there. When, when we um, activate the muscles in our feet properly, it does create a cascade effect of activation through our whole body. And so if you're not activating your feet, then you're not, then you're not getting that cascade effect. Like even in general walking, we're meant to be pushing off through our big toes, through our other toes, pushing against the ground, which... Um, which contracts the muscles in the sole of the foot to make our foot what's called a rigid lever to make it very efficient. And that's meant to be happening as we're pushing through our calves, hamstrings, glutes, like it should be a very powerful movement that makes us extremely efficient so that we can just walk all day, basically. We should be able to. So if we're not using those muscles in our feet where that, um, that chain reaction starts, we're missing out on that and that's when we start to see compensations. Um, and shoe companies kind of know this because they put a, a, a what's called toe spring to help you toe off. So shoes, modern shoes are made to kind of negate the need for the foot to move and work. And if that's going on, then it means your foot's not working. And then over time, you lose the ability to do that. And that's to the detriment of the rest of our body. Awesome. Um, and I just remember the question I was going to ask earlier, so we'll backtrack for a second. Ankle mobility. So a lot of people obviously are lacking it because of most shoes are made with the heel, even like dress shoes for men and things yeah. have that heel on it. What are some things we can start doing to start improving that ankle mobility so we actually can do a squat without shoes on like comfortably? Yeah. So I, I'm not big, like in my clinic, I don't do hand, much hands-on work at all, but I teach other people to do hands-on work for themselves. So they might be um, doing soft tissue releases for their foot and their calf and their hamstring, like all that posterior chain. Or if it's an um, impingement at the front of the ankle, we might be getting to do ankle distractions with a band, you know, just like some warming up activities that um, encourage ankle joint range of motion. But I think I, I'm really, like, unless we're, not, not a huge amount of people are, are highly, motivated to do that work and so I like to find ways 
to um, make it easier to do. And so this is why I suggest flat shoes, because every footstep is an ankle mobilization of sorts. And we don't need super maximally flexible ankles. We just need an ankle that can function within its correct range of motion. And, and, um, and if we just work on purely mobility, we lose the stiffness in an ankle as well, which is important to have a, um, that muscular stiffness or tenderness stiffness to create that spring. And so with daily walking in a flat shoe, it's like a very long, slow, but very um, repeatable and um, creates a long-term change for ankle mobility. So, so that's, um, you know, if you do all the ankle mobility work in the world for half an hour every day, and then go back into a heeled shoe, it's counterproductive and counterintuitive, in my opinion. I would agree with that. <laughs> Let's go to the foot a little bit as far as like, I know from what you were saying with your training, like you're taught or you were taught, I should say, were um, that like you just can't strengthen the muscles of the foot because they're too small. Um, what was it? And then obviously you started doing yoga. You figured this out. Yeah. What was it that you started like feeling or noticing? Um to help you kind of really solidify, like you can strengthen these smaller muscles. Yeah. So I think um, I, I remember it clearly, um, the cueing for a, the back foot in Warrior 2. You know, I don't know if you know um, if you know what that would be, but it's like you have to dr- still stay grounded through your big toe and under your, um, not just your big toe, the toe, the base of the big toe and the fifth, um, and the base of the fifth and the heel, but draw your arch up. And this requires... Um, not only intrinsic muscles, the muscles within the foot, but also the extrinsic ones um, to um, draw up your ankle. And I remember that and thinking, oh, wow, my foot's like it's better at that. Oh, wow. I probably cramped up to start with, to tell you the truth, because it was having to do some work and it just wasn't used to it. So I remember that. Um, and I also remember in the gym, um, people telling me to brace my feet against the ground and push against the ground. And like you feel your foot awaken and be alive. And now I have people with all different types of pain. And when I ask, I do a, a drill that I call conscious standing, where um, I just make the people aware that they're probably dumping into the soft tissues or, or standing on, um, standing in a way that is highly repetitive and not um, as structured as it could be or as supportive as it could be, the way we may be meant to stand. And, and part of that is to get them to activate their feet. And even just activating the feet takes load off the heel or takes load off their injured area. Um, like it might be that they've got a sore heel or, or a sore forefoot or something, you know. Um, when we activate the foot, it takes load off. And that's like light bulb moments for people because they're like, oh, okay, so I can see how the muscles do affect um, this. And I can see that when I'm not activated or not using my foot, I'm just jamming down on that sore spot all the time. No wonder it's sore. Let's get our feet strong and then it won't be so sore. And, and this is not... Um, you know, rocket science, this is what strength and conditioning uh, people are doing. They're just um, adding load close slowly um, and, and in variable ways to change um, tissue stress. And so that's, and we were taught that at uni, the tissue stress model, and we were taught that that's what an orthotic did. It took stress off the tissue. And we we're taught other models of why something worked as well. But that one was the one that always sat well with me. And I think I'm still doing that, um, just changing tissue, tissue stress Okay. Yeah. I'm curious on your thoughts, obviously like podiatrists, they're trained in school to like how they are. So I understand their side of things, but for other professions, as far as like chiropractors, physical therapists, coaches, why do you think so many people just forget that? Like, or like that the foot has a job and it has this function. Like, it seems like it's just this forgotten body part that just we stand on, but that's it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's cultural. I think um, we're bought, taught from a very young age to wear the good, sho- the good shoes, the, um, uh, the supportive shoes. And so it's like, okay, well, I've ticked that box. I'm wearing supportive shoes. My feet are done, you know, like I don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, it, almost like if someone's wearing a weight um, belt, that, you know, to brace against, that they might think, oh, I don't have to worry about bracing now because I've got the weight belt on. Like, obviously, that's not true, but um, it's. I think that's part of it, this cultural idea that our feet need support and, therefore, if they are supported, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, I think that's the biggest deal. And then there are, like, I know there are far more physios, osteopaths, chiros that are, that are in tune with what's going on with the foot than there are podiatrists <laughs> that are in tune with what's going on with the foot because... They go, well, why, why am I rehabbing a knee like this and a hip like this and a shoulder like this, but I'm not rehabbing a foot in the same way? Like, why are we not just doing the same thing to the foot? And so, like, there are a lot more people in other professions that are more awake to the foot than podiatrists, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And um, recently we had our, our local Sports Medicine Australia, um, a, a, a continued education thing, on heel pain, whether to load or unload, and it was being presented by three podiatrists. But mostly there's like chiros and physios listening in. And um, and I was listening in with a few other people, but they were chiros and physios, not podiatrists. And at the end of these three different podiatrists discussion, they're, they're like, okay, what do we decide? Load or unload? And they're all like, unload. Let's all unload, you know? And and like the chiros and physios are like, what? You know, like, okay. <laughs> To, obviously, to settle something down, to make it at a point where you can start loading it, yes, you have to unload it. But in the long term, to unload is just going to lead to a like a sequence of events that is not going to be positive for your whole body health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to talk about zero shoes. You know I love being barefoot. I am barefoot as much as possible. But when you're out in public, sometimes that's frowned upon. And when you're walking around on concrete and asphalt in the Phoenix summers, it's highly unsafe. That's when Zero Shoes comes in handy. These shoes allow my feet to be as barefoot as possible, to allow my feet to still work like they were made to work. And the great thing about these shoes is they last. They have a 5,000 mile sole warranty meaning you rarely have to replace these shoes. And they have a wide range of options. So whether you're looking for sandals, something for casual wear, or something for your sports or work, they have you covered. You can go check them out at zero shoes, that's spelled X-E-R-O shoes.com slash go slash get your fix PT. And you can find all of my partnerships at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now back to our conversation. I'm curious with the people you see, since obviously you're doing things different than most, are they coming to you because like other methods haven't worked? Are they coming to you kind of skeptical? Like what's that look like for you? This is a great question. And so I'm just, I've got two practices, two locations where I am today. It's right near the city and it's, and people come here um, because they found me through um, either like social media or because other health professionals in Melbourne have um, like their Cairo or their osteo has sent them to me. And so they know exactly why they're coming, you know, like they're coming because um, either they've got, they're into barefoot stuff already. They, 
or they've been failed by regular podiatry like over and over again, um, or they just don't want orthotics or they just have an inkling that it's there's a, um, a better way. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people like that. And um, like I said before, I'm my own receptionist as well. So I triage everyone before I see them as to know what to expect because in my other practice, it's just out in the suburbs and um, I'm just the podiatrist on the corner as well. So, so when someone rings up, they have no idea what they might find. They don't know that this is what I'm going to be doing. So I have to ask them where they found me from. And like, so I don't even do online bookings because I want to um, actually get people to understand. It would take me half an hour at the start of a consultation to explain it if they didn't um, have an understanding to start with. So um, I find out, um, yeah, so I find out where they found me from. And straight away, if it's from a health, another health professional um, that knows my work, then that's fine. But if it's just because I'm like, the podiatrist on the corner, or if they've looked up my website, they might have seen some of the articles I have there. But, um, you know, it's so I find that out. And then I say to them, you know, like, are you willing to, I'm not going to help, I'm not going to be really helping you. I'm not going to be fixing your foot. You're going to be fixing your foot, but I'm happy to guide you and give you the things to do. Like, this is kind of on you. It's their responsibility. That's how I work. And um, and because some people go ring up and say, I need orthotics. And I'm like, okay, well, you might, and I might be able to give them to you, but most of the time I don't. If you really want orthotics, the guy down the road is really good at that, and he is, um, and that's still an option, but some people want that. Um, and so I just refer them on because I don't want to have to deal with people that aren't motivated to look after themselves. <laughs> right. But sometimes they still might need an orthotic. I've got that skill, but it's very rarely these days. And, you know, this week, twice this week, it's been really um, empowering. Twice I've had to say um, I'm not the right person for you. Once because I didn't know what was going on, so I've had to go back to the osteo and, and talk um, to the osteo about what's going on. Another, you know, let's go down another path of assessment. Like that is really quite humbling to, to say, sorry, I can't help, but I think it's super important to do that because mm -hmm. I think there's another phenomenon called do somethingism where you just feel like you have to do something. And often it works, do somethingism, because you're just changing load in a different way and it might be a totally random way, but it still often works. Um, I think that's why orthotics work a lot. Um, and then the other one was a guy that, um, you know, is an Achilles rehab who has done the nth degree. Like it's, he's beyond me in terms of how he can rehabilitate his Achilles. And, and I'm really good at, at rehabbing someone's Achilles that can't do two calf raises, but this guy could do 50 single leg calf raises already. So I'm like, okay, you know what? That's beyond me. I'll send you to this guy down the road or back in Melbourne who's um, – who has the equipment to find out where that little chink in your armour is, you know, whereas I don't have that skill. And so I think it's really empowering as a health professional to say, sorry, I can't help, but, I've, but I'll help you find someone that will or I'll help you on your journey, you know. Like I, I, I really like that, that I can do that, <laughs> yeah. I think that's important to do. Like I, I definitely have my team of people too that I'm just like, you know what, go talk to this person because yeah. they know this better than I do or they can yeah. do things differently and I think it's both empowering for you as a clinician and for the patient themselves just to really understand, yeah. like, understand, like, oh, like this guy's like not just trying to take my money, like, yeah, he actually wants to help me. <laughs> yeah, and this guy with the Achilles rehab, I'm like, um, like it looks like plyometrics is where he has to go, and I'm not really great on that. And so um, I'm like, you know, I could give you some piecemeal plyometric stuff, but it would just be like, you know, in three months' time, I reckon I'll be going to go and see this guy. So let's just cut me out. And go <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so yeah. on that note um you mentioned you do orthotics when absolutely necessary are there yeah. like any specific 
diagnoses conditions that like absolutely cannot be fixed with exercise or is it just very dependent on the person? It's, it's very dependent on the person because even like the worst tibialis posterior strain, which is that where the inside of the foot, um, the muscle that holds up the inside of the foot uh, um, is really uh, stra- like painful. So then it becomes more dysfunctional and it gets more painful. It just like loads up and really what we need to do is change its ability to work by putting it back into a position where it can pull harder basically. Um, but even then you can put an orthotic under it. It doesn't work. Like it's just such an individual thing. And, you know, there's so much evidence-based practice, but you're still having to deal with the person in front of you and um, create a treatment plan for, for that person, depending on what's going on. Or, you know, most, like I would say 90% of the time I don't use an orthotic for heel pain, but, you know, recently I had to get an off the shelf orthotic and it was just like, it was the 5% that made a difference. And now that guy has got over the hump and he's, you know, on his way. So like never say never, but also don't go, okay, it's Tim Post, I have to put an orthotic in here. Um, you know, and some there are some structural deformities where you go, okay, this is definitely going to be an orthotic. Um, but then some people are functioning beautifully and well within what they want to do with their lives without an orthotic. So it doesn't need an orthotic, you know. So um, it's just really hard to say. Like I hate to be um, grey on an area, but it's a very grey area. <laughs> No, absolutely, but, and I told uh, you. Yeah, most podiatrists are just going, put an orthotic under everything. And I'm even seeing this new new um, phenomenon of an orthotic and a hocker shoe, hocker, which is like a um, almost like a rocker bottom. Mm-hmm. And I call it like, uh, it's like a moon boot. It's just like putting a moon boot. When you put an orthotic that does this to the foot and a shoe that does this to the foot and then put the foot on it, it's like not the foot's kind of offline and you get amazing results in, for pain. But um, that's another thing. I'm not, I don't even focus on pain that much. I want to see what function is about. And even that's individual. Like, is it a function? Is it functional for the, like, just because someone can't run 10K, they don't want to run 10K. They just want to be able to walk their dog around the block. So that's their function that we're aiming for, you know? And, and so, yes, they would be in pain if they're in 10K. So hocker and orthotics are really good for pain, but I don't think they're great for function. For punch. <laughs> like I'm not sure that someone work moves well in that situation, but I see it a lot because I reckon that's okay. We can't. We're not sure what's going on. Let's just throw everything at it. And yes, when you immobilize a foot that much by using that combination, it will t- it, it will stop being painful most likely. Yeah. Like yeah. at that point, just put them in a boot for a couple of weeks and call yeah. it good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Awesome. Um. Any go this route any like really common questions you get asked that you think would be good to talk about yeah um so the whole barefoot concrete um argument you know like why um we're not made yes we should be able to function naturally but our environment is now not natural because we're mostly on hard flat surfaces um you know there's some humans that are on hard flat surfaces uh naturally as well like if they live in a certain area where the ground is hard and flat you know um and there is pretty much no human that um some jobs might be pretty repetitive but that you are doing the same with your feet with every step like every movement is different like here in the clinic i'm in here today is concrete floors and there probably won't be a step in my day that's the same as the last one do you know what i mean like so on, on that minute level there's different loads through your foot all the time 
And so this is it, because that's the big question. Uh, but I'm on concrete all the time, you know. Or, and so then it's also about load management. So I could run a marathon barefoot in three years' time, but I couldn't do it tomorrow um, because I'm not, I'm not um, prepared for it. And so um, it's all about how much you slowly increase load. It's just like if you're going to try and squat 200 kilos, you couldn't. But if you squatted, you know, three times a week for the next three years, maybe you could squat 200 kilos. Um, and so it's similarly, it's all about load management. Your foot can, is high, our whole body is highly adaptable. And so your foot can adapt to pretty much any environment if you give it the right um, time and, and input. It's the old said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand. When we apply a demand upon our body, it, it reacts by breaking down and then building up stronger again. As long as we don't break it down too much too quickly, then we'll get stronger and be able to cope with that. So that's a big deal. Um, another one, totally, totally other end of the spectrum, is the way that minimalist shoes look or flat uh, or shoes um, that are more accommodating of a natural foot function, the way they look. So people just go, I could never wear that. Look at look what it looks like. And again, this is cultural. We've been made to think that our foot should be squished. And um, I made a meme up with a big clown shoe saying, this is what my feet look like when I first put on minimalist shoes. And then alongside it is this pointy shoe. This is what everyone else's feet look like three months later. Because once you get used to your foot being like this, you see, like even just someone in a pair of Nikes, like, how can they be putting their foot in that you know, Because um, <laughs> it looks so squishy compared to what you're used to. Um, and so that's my answer to that. It's all about perspective and how much do you want to be out of foot pain? And if, if that's going to be a hurdle for you, then I'm probably not the podiatrist for you. <laughs> yeah. They're the two big questions, I reckon. I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, no, no. And, and, you know, I, I still do a lot of regular podiatry that's like ingrown toenails, corns, calluses, things like this. And I have people come back every six weeks because they get a corn on their little toe from their shoes rubbing. And they ask the same question every, why is this coming back? Um, and I educate them about it in the same way, sometimes with a bit more vigour than others, depending on my day. And because I've told them over and over again for a long time. And some take it on board and it's like, whoa, this is amazing. My corn's gone. Oh, it's amazing. These shoes are amazing. Um, and others just keep putting their foot in that same shoe over and over again. It's just like, it's just this rote learning of, of life. And people, some people prefer to be treated um, than actually do something about it, which is yeah. sad. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. Um, so on that note, I'm curious. So obviously because of some people's jobs, like they can't help what shoes they wear, like, especially like construction workers, people who have to wear like steel toe boots, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what like suggestions do you give them as far as like, when you're back home, like this is what you should be doing for your foot. Yeah. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of jobs like that. There actually are some now minimalist work boots with steel caps. Um, Birkenstock make them, but you have to pull the insole out to make it truly minimalist. So people are finding that quite helpful. Um, uh, but it's yeah, it's called the non-negotiable um, shoe pretty much, you know, like where they have to be in that shoe for a set activity. Rock climbing is another one. Like they need to be in this shoe that does this because of the activity. And so then it's all about what you do outside of that time. That's like um, rolling your feet out, moving your feet, um, mobilising your toes, using toe spaces, being, making sure you're minimising your time in the shoes that are that outside of work, you know, like, 
don't, you know, as soon as you get out of work, take those shoes off and put something else on if you have to, or just be barefoot around home, you know, like don't do as much as you can wear that shoe as little as possible. Um, yeah, because that is, that's life, isn't it? That we have to sometimes wear shoes that aren't ideal. Like I still cycle a bit and I found the widest cycling shoes I can find, but my feet are still squished in them and it's uncomfortable. And afterwards I wear my toe spaces, roll my feet out and I'm fine. Or um, my wife, my mum turned 70 and my wife and my daughter and my mum wore, and they're all like minimal shoe converts, um, but they wore heels and pointy toes out for dinner. And um, my mum at 70 took a month to get over that night. <laughs> she had sore feet for a month. My wife took a week and my 14-year-old daughter had no pain. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was quite, um, you know, it shows you what that young growth hormone does and, and what ageing can do for you as well. <laughs> that's funny yeah i'm curious with rock climbers what your thoughts are because obviously their feet are very squished but they're also using their feet a lot differently than other people do like do their feet tend to be a little bit stronger just because they're using their feet more to grab rocks or yeah yeah i think i mean generally um good rock climbers are highly functional humans and have have pretty in, in tune with the way their body moves because they're doing this activity that is so um intuitive yet using their whole body you know and so um like it again you don't want to generalize but most of them have, have probably got great pretty they might they think they probably look gnarly but they're probably highly functional yeah, yeah. i used to it's been a while but i used to do a lot of rock climbing and even like we'd be doing slack line stuff barefoot in, in yeah. the gym or like you're walking in your sandals to the actual like yeah, to the, where you're exactly climbing, and so yeah. I, I think they, I think you're right. I think they still have very highly functional feet. Yeah, there's some people I've looked after, um, horse riders, and there's Baratris that's aligned with the way I work. Who's really into horse riding? She like has her vivos on until she steps onto the horse, you know, like, and then she puts that boot on because they have to wear a restricted and uh, you know, um, and I've looked after a stripper, so she has to be in heels all the time for work. <laughs> it's like a workplace issue, um, you know. So there's there's like all walks of life. Um, that have foot that we need to wear certain shoes. Yeah. Another big question that I get asked a lot is flat about flat feet. And you know, there's that typical view of someone's feet from behind with their heels everted um, rolling in. Um, you know, some of the most elite athletes in the world have, who are highly functional have shocking what what looks like bad poorly functioning feet in terms of the traditional model of what we've expected to see, which is an arch. Um, and so the arch height does not matter. There is no correlation to injury. And this is what's crazy. All the research say, says that, yet you go to most podiatrists and they're like, oh, you've got, you've got overpronation. We need to change that, put an arch supporting. And it's like, and then I'm the one being questioned about my, um, about what I'm doing because I'm doing something different, but I'm actually just following actually like what, what everyone else is doing, strengthening it, not worrying about the way it looks, more about the way it functions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, always, it's always interesting when it's like, the research shows one thing, but normal practice, normal yeah. practice is another thing. It's just like, yeah, and I mean, I'm where, player, but not really. <laughs> yeah. Evidence-based practice. I mean, it's funny. Um, Adam, that, so squat university posted, um, some pictures of my, like some x-ray photos that I put together. Um, and that creates huge, um, interest, um, because it's like a picture of a Nike with the foot all bunched up. And who even knows how real it is? I don't even care how real it is. If it makes people question their foot health, 
then we've got the job done. You know, it's not about how real that picture is. It just makes people go, oh, what am I putting my feet? Great, job done. So he put that up and, um, you know, there's a, a renowned physio that's so purely evidence-based practice um, that he that he's now gone into the series of posts about um, it doesn't matter what shoe you wear, I can do, I can do anything in any shoe. And um, because the evidence shows that it doesn't matter what you've got on your foot. And it's true. The evidence shows it doesn't matter what you've got on your foot. It just has to be comfortable. That's the key. That, that's what the evidence shows. But this, that means there's, I would say there's a hole in the evidence. There's just, there's, and like a hole in, a hole as in a gap in the um, evidence about how the foot is functioning in shoes. It doesn't mean it's not true. And this is the whole evidence-based practice. Like do you throw the baby out with the bathwater and have someone squatting in stilettos? Um, or do you go, okay, let's be reasonable about this. Okay, where am I going to get a better um, result at the end, maybe less injury, like what makes sense? Like where's common sense gone in some of these arguments? And mm-hmm. that's, I just um, chalk those ones up to, yeah, like you're getting a point across. I understand that. And no one, and there's no one perfect way, but like if we can just be, com- like we use common sense with this stuff, you know? Yeah. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I absolutely <laughs> yeah. do. And I think yeah. it, like to, to the point too, as far as what you're, where you're going at, it's like, like you said earlier, it's like, there's like where you're lifting shoes for certain things. Like every shoe does have a tool. Like you have yeah. your cleats for grass. You have your cleats for turf. Like yeah. you have, yeah. like shoes have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's another interesting point. Cleats um, are so shockingly narrow and, and you'll find like experienced footballers of all different codes Um saying I couldn't play anything else because they've become so used to it and they're so used to kicking the ball, which is a highly skillful thing, using this narrow thing, you know. And so really that change has to come from, like, for kids. And so there's a guy um, in the States who's um, building custom-made shoes for his son who's just starting out playing soccer at, like, eight or nine years of age or something. And he's so he's a shoe designer already, this guy, and now he's doing, um, what's it called when they... Um, like, oh, comp- no, three, like 3D um, printing, you know, it's like 3D oh, okay. printing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he's printing out shoe, their shoes that are custom made for the foot shape with a cleat on it and it's got this spacer built in for the first and second. Like this is where the future of footwear goes, you know, like actually building a shoe that's, that's foot shaped, that's got cleats, that's flexible. Like I think um, that's really exciting space. And so you, that we should still be able to have a, a football cleat that um, that is foot shaped and flexible that that will in- increase function, especially if we start kids in it now and then they've been in it for the whole life. They won't know anything different. Yeah. Like you look at the kids in third world countries playing football barefoot. They're highly highly skilled. So you can't tell me you need to have a pointy toe to have that skill. Yeah. <laughs> and even climbing, even climbing shoes. Like you could get a climb, like I don't think it would be such a bad thing to climb in, say, a Vibram Five Fingers if it had a bit more protection for the toes mm-hmm. or you just build up your ability to cope with the pressure of using your toes in that, you know, like um, it doesn't have to be. It's just tradition has said we wear a shoe that does this, you know. Hiking boots, another great example. Like let's, let's go out into nature and experience nature and put something on our feet that takes us as far away from nature as possible. <laughs> right. And then, 
And then it's so stiff that we won't feel anything on the ground and are more likely to roll our ankle because we've basically just taken away our foot's ability to mould to the ground. And so then we'll put something around our ankle to try and support it and you'll probably hurt your knee, you know. <laughs> so, like just because tradition says we need that footwear doesn't mean it's right. It's just that tradition over the last like 150 years has pushed us into that, you know. Yeah. Mean it's right, yeah. It's actually what I did my thesis on. I did it on how an ankle brace impacts the knee. Ah, really? There you yeah. go. And does, and does it? It does, both from we did landing forces from a jump and rotational forces on a pivot. And yeah. on both of them, it changed the firing, protective firing pattern around the knee. Wow. There you go. Yeah, yeah. it was fast. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good point you made as far as the with soccer slash football shoes and um climbing shoes that we do like we want them tight but yeah there's no reason they have to be as narrow as they are no and there probably is no reason for them to be so tight either it's just that we grew up with them being tight and so you know and my kids are a great example um again experiment two of two because there's two of them um they um were in orthotics because I saw their feet doing what their mum's feet were doing. I'm like, oh, put orthotics in those and like support <laughs> and, and and then like four years ago, I'm like, oh no, get them out of those. And 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 now, um, and and they've been playing soccer and not even worrying about the boots because they were so used to having their foot squished already, you know. And now, after like three or four years of being in minimalist shoes, they go to soccer on a Saturday and soccer training on a Wednesday, and like I just hear whinges and they're whining and complaining about their shoes from soccer because within three or four years at still, you know, moderately young ages, they have, they have got this, they've become used to this. And so now my son is playing some five-a-side on um, AstroTurf at the moment, just like a little after COVID um, season. And he's just wearing his, um, his Vivos that have the, the soft ground Vivos, so they've got a bit more of a cleat. He's okay. fine. He's so much more comfortable. He's still got all the skills that he had before, but he just doesn't complain about his sore feet. Yeah. But when it comes to muddy season, he'll have to go back to proper cleats and then I'll hear the complaints again. <laughs> and if I told him to do the ball rolling and wear toe spaces and mobilise his feet, there's no chance he's going to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm actually super curious now. There's a climbing gym, a new one opening up really close to me. I'm like, I'm yeah. really curious now to go pick up another pair of five fingers and yeah. go climb and see how that works. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like to think, like, could it be a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and TFC, the Foot Collective, were, had a foot, had a footwear pro, project to come up with a climbing shoe that was footwear, that was foot friendly. But it kind of, I think it died a slow death of um, not enough people with enough energy to go into it, you know? Um, Belenka is another brand of shoes. Um, you're a Czechoslovakian brand of shoes, Belenka Barefoot, and they've just come out with what's called the trail walker. And you know that um, hard material around the edge of a rock climbing shoe mm -hmm. that, um, that makes them really hard wearing? It's got that around the edge, and and so, but it's broad and flat and flexible. And, and I'm like, ah, you know, that's, and so they call it their trail walker, good for hiking because it provides some protection against like hitting a rock and sticks and things like that. But it's that same material, but in a broad shoe. It's really cool. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Check those out. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Andy, this was a super fun conversation. If someone has more questions for you, wants to reach out to you, where can they find you? 
the easiest way is via Instagram because, like, that's access to, like, I, I, and I do online consults as well, but that is that is like the portal to, to my website, to speaking to me, all that type of thing. And so that's Andy Bryant underscore podiatrist on Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you. Thanks again for joining me. This was really informative and really fun. Thanks for having me. And before I close out today, I want to take a moment to talk to you about the foot and ankle fix for runners. Foot and ankle pain is such a common injury with runners, and yet it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be bothering you constantly. It doesn't have to be shutting you down from being able to run. But many times it does because we don't do the right things for it. That is why I created the foot and ankle fix for runners. It's an online program that'll give you the right things to do in order to resolve your foot and ankle issues once and for all and let you really get back to training like you want to. So if you're interested in checking out the foot and ankle fix for runners, head over to getyourfixpt.com courses and you can see a link for the foot and ankle fix for runners as well as all of my other online programs. Thank you again so much for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.